It's been a while. Welcome to a new installment of the Chris Williams podcast here, production from 712 Media. I'm your host, Chris Williams, and I'm looking forward to tonight's interview. I think you guys will enjoy it as well. As I sat down with the guy who I have worked with in multiple capacities for a really long time. Uh, He's been a mentor of mine. Uh, He's now a good friend of mine. And he is a guy who I often, I I talk about all kinds of things with John Miller, the longtime publisher from HawkeyeNation.com. He's been a a radio personality in the capital city of Des Moines. Um, He since got out of the business and is now uh, completely in in a whole other sector. And we talk about that. And most importantly, we talk about the evolution or uh, whatever you want to call it of John Miller, um, how different areas of his life have changed and how it has impacted him. Uh, We will. uh, We don't shy away from anything here on the CW pod. We get into some pretty heavy stuff here. We're going to talk about our faith. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about how. Our faith influences our politics. Obviously, that's a hot topic here in the United States with the election coming up in just a few short weeks. And then, of course, uh, apparently uh, we have to do it here on the CW Pod. We talk about all kinds of crazy stuff at the end, like ghosts and aliens and all that fun stuff. But if you're into sports media, you'll probably like the beginning of this, and then we get into the other stuff. Really appreciate you guys listening. Please uh, rate, review, and um, hopefully you're enjoying these. I'm going to try and get back to doing them more regularly. It has been an absolute zoo uh, around here, just like all of you guys, trying to educate your kids during this time, trying to just navigate through everything going on in our world. I am very blessed to still be employed and, and healthy and all that stuff. Don't want to come off like a whiner, but this is, this is kind of a side deal for me, right? So finding time to do these has been, has been more difficult than I would have wanted. I got to put the other stuff as my priority, but uh, we'll keep building this thing and we can't do it without you guys. So please share, rate, review, do all that stuff. And I hope, uh, hope we're getting some new listeners too. some of you Hawkeye fans who have followed John Miller's career over the years. I hope you enjoy uh, this time as a couple of guys who met uh, would have been first back in uh, 2003, 2004 ish. Um, as we, we caught up on Zoom and had this fun conversation. All right, guys. Uh, of course, the CW Pod is presented by my friends at Mechdyne, the Mechdyne Corporation. Of course, they are headquartered in Marshalltown. You can check them out at mechdyne.com. And I know here's the cool part of the CW Pod I get all sorts of listeners who probably don't listen to my sports stuff. And I, I've gotten this from. Uh, some ladies who have taught my daughter. My daughter's preschool teachers were listening to these. Um, there's all sorts of people. And if you're an educator out there, or if you're a parent who has had a heck of a time with the e-learning, you know, the the, the hybrid stuff, Yeah, yeah, yeah. some districts aren't even at school, right? Well, if you go to mechdyne.com, there's a red text right there that says new e-learning support. And you can click on learn more right next to it and they've actually got a hotline you can call to get information uh, you know you have computer problems logging in stuff like that this is more uh, this is a great opportunity right now if if you are a school administrator listen up guys listen up and you 
can use MechDyne to basically you can farm out IT help. So you don't have to go and hire more employees because what school district can do that in 2020? But for a very affordable price, you can hire out help with the e-learning and all that technical support. You can find out more information at MechDyne.com, a great Iowa company that has gone worldwide. All right, here's my uh, interview with a longtime friend, mentor, um, adversary <laughs> with the Cyhawk thing. We'll have some fun. Uh, John Miller, the longtime publisher and founder of HawkeyeNation.com. He sat beside Jim Zobel on the WHO uh, sound off program for years and years and years. And uh, here, well, here we are. A lot of fun. Uh, it's been a long time it. coming. I feel like I. I don't know. This this is one of the first guys that I probably should have had on this podcast, but we've kind of reconnected lately, and I'm, I'm glad we have. His name is John Miller. You guys, uh, the Cyclone listeners, know him as the big troll. He used to be on <laughs> KXNO every day. <laughs> the old uh, Hawkeye Nation guy. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. He's a, he's a really good dude. I love him like family. I told him this last night before we did this, and I'm really glad to have a conversation with him today. How are you, my friend? I am really good, and I appreciate uh, you thinking enough to have me on. And, um, you know, I, I think the timing of it is all meant to be because, you know, earlier this year before COVID hit, which was, what, first quarter of 2020, I might have, you know, I was just laying low. Yeah. Um, as I said, I was going to lay low, you know, and then the pandemic hit, and I kind of realized I kind of miss people. And uh, so, yeah, this is the timing of all this seems to be uh, seem to be appointed. So does that mean you're coming back? Uh, you know, okay, you're you're, <laughs> what, you're I mean, what is, something like, and running with what, it. I well, didn't say I mean, that. You, I you led I, me into that. I said that I missed people. <laughs> I missed the so like, you know, was it December 27th was <laughs> Iowa beat USC in the holiday bowl. Did my podcast. I had the painfully long goodbye, which in hindsight, that was very self-aggrandizing. And I apologize for putting people through that. Um, but then I, I said, I, I, want, I needed to basically focus on things. I needed to focus on my day job, my energy company. And, uh, and I did that and I still am doing that. But then COVID hits, we're all isolated from each other physically for a while. And I was still reading Twitter during January, February, and March. I was still reading. I didn't post. It was almost like, you know, listen, I can say this with experience. I was before, I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had a drink for 14 years, but there was a withdrawal phase almost psychologically for me is it more so than it was physically, which I'm very fortunate in that regard. I had a withdrawal Are you from, saying, giving my, from giving my opinions every day. On Iowa? Or it just in general? In general. Okay. Just in general. Okay. It's very, it's, and I said this in one of the goodbye podcasts, it's very narcissistic. I recognize that it is. There is something addictive to me about giving opinions and having 10, 20, 100, 1,000 people reacting. And that's not to say I just want to give opinions just to get reaction. I enjoy the interaction. I enjoy the discourse. And for, for 20 years of my life, whenever I've written something, whenever I've said something, 
I've had a conversation with people, mm-hmm. whether it was on message boards way back in the day or email way, way back in the day or Twitter and social media in the present time. And I found that I really, really miss that. So yeah, I, I miss a lot of aspects of it. I can't say for sure, you know, what the future holds, but I certainly would not sit here and tell you that I'm never going to do something again. So that's interesting. Have you seen the, uh, the social dilemma yet on Netflix? Yep. And I, I watched it and I'm like, I want to have my kids watch this stuff. And I really want to try to limit their exposure for my 17 year old. I just want to make her aware more than anything. And as I watched it, I thought, yep, absolutely. This is right. This has all been engineered. The dopamine hits yeah. whenever you get <laughs> likes on this, that, or the other, you get a DM. Uh, yeah, but totally. The- air. It's me. And I don't think there's any going back for me. Do you think though, like, because what they're talking about is the, like the dopamine thing. And that's just like, you know, guy could be a factory worker, right? You post something on Facebook and you get reaction to it. Yes. Guys like us who've been doing this for so many years, we're like hypersensitized to that. Right. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I think it's embedded. I mean, to me, it was, there was probably always some type of receptor in my temperament that was, you know, we, everybody likes to make people happy. Everybody likes adulation. Everybody likes an attaboy or girl, as Nicole Nordeman once saying. But when you're a talker or you're a blogger and this is what you do, I mean, you have a microphone in front of your face every day and you got a couple of hours to go. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth. And when you, you and Ross drive off the road, (laughs) that's when the beautiful things happen Mm -hmm. and you feel it. You feel it. When you go to that break, you look over at Ross. I'm, I'm not saying I've witnessed this. I'm just guessing you look over at Ross. You guys smile and do the old, uh, Robert Redford, uh, Jeremiah Johnson nod without saying anything. Yeah. Or you high five. If it's really good, that's our home run. That's our touchdown. That's our locker room. And for me, Twitter is a lot like that for me. Mm. Um, at least that's what's been revealed to me over these last several months. Interesting. Well, let's start at the beginning, man. Cause I, um, you're one of the first guys that I met in this industry. Well, you're not, you're not necessarily one of the first, but you're one of the first that welcomed me into it. I would say <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like it, I remember it was back. I got my start. I met Dace in 2004. Mm-hmm. You remember Chad Winterbor? Yes. Okay. Chad introduced me to those guys. And then I got hired at Cyclone Nation when you were publishing Hawkeye Nation, which at that yeah. time you were scout, right? You, you were away from rivals. In 2004, yeah. It was with the Insiders. Yes. And then they changed it to scout, yeah. Oh, that's what it was called then? Yep. The, the insiders. insiders? Okay. Yep. Um. And I just remember, I, I don't, we've never really talked about this. I got a PM from you on the old, like, Scout the interface. And you kind of, like, welcomed <laughs> I slid me. into your PM? Yeah. <laughs> well, this was before, you know, Twitter didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. These like, were the original DMs. We're, like, on Hotmail. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Back in the day. I mean, people really weren't even, like, texting yet. We didn't even have, like, smartphones. Like, that no. was, you know. Mass adoption of email was five to six years old at this time. Yeah. 
But I remember you reached out to me, and I had not gotten a great reception from some of the old guard on the Iowa State beat. All of a sudden, there's this, like, 19-year-old kid who's, I don't even know if I was that old at the time, but I was, you know, trying to break stories, and I'm trying right. to do all this stuff. And you were really positive to me. And I always looked up to you, though, because you were, to me, you were one of the first guys who was like, yeah, I'm not going to write for a newspaper my whole career. You know, I, I don't have to do it that. I don't have to work for um, Gannett or the mm. Tribune Company or anything like that. And you kind of just grabbed it. Where did that come from? I don't really know because I, I guess I've never really tried to trace the roots of my entrepreneurial passion. But I know that when I got out of college, you know, I, I wanted, you know, when I was in college, I wanted to be a sportscaster got a degree in broadcasting, got an internship at an NBC affiliate in Peoria, Illinois, right. My last semester of college, that internship was the last three credit hours I needed to get my degree. And then I'm in that internship. I look around and I'm like, Oh crap. I don't want to do a job from 2 PM in the afternoon till midnight. Mm-hmm. and someday have a family and miss, miss my family growing up. And I didn't have a girlfriend at the time and I didn't have really any good prospects because I was a, I was a mess, but I'm like, someday I'm not going to like this. So I got out of television and I was playing slow pitch softball with some of my high school buddies in central Illinois. And one of the guys on our team happened to own a small agricultural implement shop where they sold like, you know, Kubotas and, and rented. And he's like, you know, Hey, I'm I'm looking for a manager. I'm like, well, I can talk. Uh, I bet I can sell. And he's like, come on down. He hired me. I'm 20, gosh, 23 years old, never took a business course. And I went to work for a family owned business. And that was the best. That was my, that was a master's degree in business. Mm -hmm. Did that for two years. I had eight employees. I had to hire people. I had to fire people, which was terrifying. Trying firing um, technicians who tend to have a temperament that is a little different than mine. And they can get a little hot. Blue collar, small town. I get it. And (laughs) you think you're going to get thumped upside the head with the freaking wrench. Yeah. I was going to say hammer, but wrench works too. Yeah. And Alan, if you're listening, you terrify me to this day. Um, But after two years of that, I remember this distinctly. I told my dad, I'm like, dad, no matter what I do, the sign on the wall is not going to say Miller's outdoor power equipment. It's always going to say German's outdoor power equipment. Cause that was the name of the family. And I'm like, I don't want that. There's a glass ceiling. So I think that was when I recognized I didn't like glass ceilings. I wasn't going to choose a career path that said, if I do eight hours a day, I can make $15 an hour and get three weeks vacation. I knew I couldn't function. I had to have the opportunity to do more. And it wasn't, it's, it wasn't, and still isn't always about the money. It's about climbing the mountain. It's about building something and building something that's quote unquote yours. Mm -hmm. So I wound up somehow getting a job in the energy industry in Kansas city and went there and did that for a few years. And then the internet came around and email came around. This is 98. And I still love sports. And I started to email my thoughts and opinions on Hawkeye sports to my family and friends. And they wound up forwarding it and they wound up forwarding it, forwarding it. In five months, I had a distro list of 5,000 people. And at that particular time, rivals.com was part one 
the original was founded and somehow they found me and they said, do you want to do what you're doing for us? I said, yes. And that is when I'm like, I think I can make a business out of this. That's mine. That's not traditional. That's not going to work for somebody else. That's me on my own merits succeeding or failing. And that's really when the bug hit me and it has, it's, it's been ever since. Did you get that? Um, what I'm talking about, I'm sure you did. The, the, the newspaper and TV guys didn't really care for guys like us. Back in yep. the day. And, that's, and, <laughs> and that's, then days started putting us on the radio and then all hell broke loose. Yeah. Uh, internet <laughs> killed the newspaper star. Um, I say this and I've said this a thousand times. The guys, some of the guys on the Iowa beat, and there's one guy I'm thinking of in particular, but I'm not going to say his name because that's a long time ago. Yeah. Wouldn't have pissed on me if I was on fire. Yeah. Um, Phil Hattie, then Iowa sports information director looked at me like I had three horns going out of my head, like an inner, what an internet, what were you talking about? Um, and I just kept coming. I just kept emailing. I kept sent, and I would send in like, guys, I got a hundred thousand people that are coming to my website. That's, and I would looked up the circulation numbers as best I could find online. I said, that's, that's the highest readership of any daily newspaper in Iowa outside the Des Moines register Sunday edition. I have more eyeballs than them. And I kept hitting it. I kept doing it. And they finally said I could come to media day in 2000. And, um, and then, in 2001, I was credentialed and I was the first non-traditional media member credentialed at Iowa. But even then, it, I still had to prove myself all the time. And a lot of the guys really, you know, Morehouse was great. He's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah Morehouse is great from day one. Mike Coloss was great from day one. You know, I was really, you know, still a big fan of both of those guys. Rob Howe and I developed a good relationship. He was with the Iowa City Press Citizen at that time. Mark Allen, who was doing radio for Iowa um, at that time, you know, I think the women's basketball team, maybe even baseball at that time. And also he was a sports director at KXIC. He invited me to come on a radio show there. Dace invited me on in Des Moines and, and, but yeah, so I knew what you were going through. I knew, and matter of fact, I think it was the same person. I knew that behind your back, no matter whenever you left, they were talking about you because they were talking about me, but to me, and I can't remember what I told you, but I'm guessing I probably told you something like this. Like I tell my daughter all the time, they, people, people can't sh try to shoot you down unless you're flying. So you know what? Go fly. Mm -hmm. and don't worry about the shots because people don't try to shoot a loser down. They try to shoot, to shoot a target down. You prepared me for what I was getting ready to experience though. Cause I, I had no clue. I didn't even know I wanted to be in journalism until writer. I, so I grew up, a lot of Iowa state fans know this. I don't I talk about it openly. I grew up an Iowa fan and I would read that my uncle Dick, we would, you know, we drive six hours to Iowa city on Saturdays or whatever it was, five hours. And it's a long way to get to anywhere from Clorinda, especially Iowa City. It's like another world. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, what was the the newspaper that had all the recruits? The Hawkeye one. It was like the voice of the Hawkeye. The voice of the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I wound up writing for them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was what got me so interested in this stuff. I wanted to write about recruits. Like I, mm -hmm. I was one of the rare guys. Most guys don't want to do cover recruiting. Right. But back in the well, day, if they do after about three years, they don't anymore. Correct. But that was what got me so fired up about that deal. And I don't know. I, I, I think I was doing pretty good on the recruiting deal. And then you just randomly, and I'd never met you before, but you sent me a really 
it was an uplifting message. And you basically told me that these guys were going to start, you know, that it was going to get a little bit tough for me. And it did. Like I, I remember the McCarney staff, like at the end, like they, they could not comprehend this 20 year old questioning if they should have their jobs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't know, like I, that's the one reason, like, I, I don't want to just kiss your ass here for an hour and a half. Nobody wants to hear that, <laughs> but you, um, I, I give you a lot of credit though, because I don't think that I would have gone the route I did in my career. Had I not had a guy like you telling me it was okay to, you know, everybody in journalism school is telling me I need to go and write for the Ames Tribune. You were kind of pushing me another direction. So I, I thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, each of us really is a summation of the relationships and time and energy that other people have poured into us. So somebody did something like that for me along the way. It's the least that we can do is, you know, I'm, and I'm not saying that I mean, maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe I should have said, get the hell out of this. But, um, yeah, you, know, you, you probably should have, but <laughs> well, look at me right now. I mean, I, I decided to get back in energy so I could actually pay some bills, but, yeah. um, I don't yeah, have I that mean, to fall back on though. I also admire that about you. I don't know anything else, John. Like I, I don't know anything else. I thought about that a lot. I'll be honest. The last six months when COVID the lockdown hit and I was looking out, we were all wondering what this was going to do. And we are still not out of the woods yet economically. And I was thinking about a lot of my peers like you, uh, people in the newspapers, people whose livelihoods really depend on advertising dollars. And you look at, and a lot of these small businesses are the companies that support, you know, the Des Moines Register or Cyclone Fanatic or Hawkeye Nation or the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And these small businesses are really starting to, really suffer, go away, not come back. And yeah. And I've, and I thought how fortunate I was to spend my 10,000 hours in the energy world from 96 to 03, while the last three or four years of that simultaneously building Hawkeye nation as a hobby at first, and then kind of probably taking a little too much time away from my energy job. But then Enron happened, took all midsize energy companies out, took them all out. And to me, it's like, all right, I got one boat now let's go all in with this. Um, but I was fortunate to be able to walk back across that bridge because energy is a lot like sports, Chris, and that I had Google alerts for crude oil prices, inventories, et cetera. I was reading that stuff every day from 03 to 2013 when I eventually went back into energy. It's in your blood. Just like, you know, the first quarter of this year, Twitter, keeping up on the Hawks, keeping up on sports is also in my blood. And it's, you know, you're fortunate if you can find a balance for both. You're really fortunate if you have something to fall back on, man. Dude, you, you're, you know, I've told you this, I'm going to say it out loud. Um, I think you could be very successful in a number of genres, you know, and I've got two or three in the top of my head. So yeah, right now, this is what you have experience in, but you're different because you're an entrepreneur and you have a cross skill set. where some people, uh, some people who are coming from the traditional journalism background, in my opinion, this is it. They, they're institutionalized. They, they are used to putting in 
40 to 80 hours a week, depending on the time of the year, getting a check for that, getting their meals paid for when they travel, getting their rental car paid for when they travel and have to drive at two and three in the morning. I mean, it's not glorious. And then that paycheck comes every two weeks. And if that goes away, man, that is going to be a tough transition for some folks. And I hope it doesn't happen. Um, talk about transitions. Um, I think this is a good one. Cause I want to, there's so much more that I want to talk to you about than just like the careers and right. our backgrounds and stuff like that. And I mean, I did that for seven hours in December. I think I covered a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I enjoyed it by the way. I appreciate it. I'm it such a media geek. It was cathartic though. for me. But so, like, yeah. I, I am like a media geek though. Like it, there's right, just sure. not a lot of, um, independent guys. And gals, yeah. there's just right. not like two, four, seven's kind of where it's at now where everybody they're, they kind of own everything, but yeah, they do. Um, there's really actually, um, they, I don't know if I should say this, but they, they tried to buy us. I'm sure. And, um, they were kind of giving me some stats like the, of like the independent sites that are out there. There's just not many. There's not. I mean, it's, it's I, I tried to buy Cyclone Fanatic once upon a time. <laughs> you'd do thank, anything for a dollar wouldn't you miller thank thank unbelievable thank heavens for the cycling fans that didn't happen and that's the reason why it didn't happen <laughs> um so i want to talk like this the john miller evolution that i've seen and i i don't i don't know i'm not judging anybody i don't know if it's good i don't know if it's bad but i often lean on you on on things um and with this election coming up I, we don't need to like I don't think we need to, you know, put the candidates on trial or anything here. Um, but right. what one thing you you seem I don't want to say you've gotten more liberal over the years. I, I I would not say that. I would never describe you that way. I the you seem more um, open armed maybe than you were ten years ago. Is that more accepting? Is that you mean? Yeah. Yeah, since I just you know put that inception in your head, of course that's what you'd say. But yes, um, I, I think I guess I would say this because um, politics obviously is a, is a is a very challenging thing to discuss, and unfortunately, it seems like it's more challenging to do so in the environment we're in right now without offending people. Which I'm not really concerned with offending people, but I am concerned with trying to be always be fair. Um, I'm 49 years old. I've voted in every presidential election since 1992. And as we sit here and record this on what, October the 6th, yep. 2020, I've never cast a vote for a Democrat in my voting life. In 2016, I primaried, which is what we do in, did in Oklahoma. Um, I primaried for Ted Cruz in 2020. Uh, I primaried for Pete Buttigieg. And what a, that is about as 180 <laughs> as you are going to find politically. <laughs> it's fascinating though. Like I I went on this deal last week on the on our radio show about like why like yeah, I'll watch the debate, but because I feel like I probably should because it's such a big media event. Yep. But I, I don't think that there's a point because I don't think that anybody's going to change their minds. Like if you're on one team, you're going to think this about that. Can it doesn't matter what they say. John. Right. It doesn't right. matter. 
Right. So for you to go from being a Ted Cruz guy to Pete Buttigieg, like how in the hell did that happen in four years? <laughs> That's the best way to ask it. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> well, for um, real. I mean. Yeah, I, I would say that for my me, it was a step change. Um, we moved from West Des Moines in mm-hmm. 2013 to Owasso, Oklahoma, which is a northern suburb of Tulsa. We're in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. And when we moved from Iowa, we felt that Des Moines was just way too liberal, right? My wife and I both felt that way. And when I say we felt, I'm not speaking for my wife. Believe me, she speaks and thanks for herself. <laughs> and and I'm not telling her what to say or do. And um, we get to the Tulsa area. We're watching TV. We're TV commercials. Um, God and Jesus uh, are mentioned 25% of the advertisements in Tulsa, Oklahoma, hmm. in my opinion. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. People are talking about their faith openly. Like this is, this is great. Um, we found a, we found a very, um, we found a church to attend right now. I'd say in hindsight, it was uh, a very fundamental, um, legalistic, uh, evangelical church. And over the span of the seven years that we lived there, the weaponization of the Bible, the ostracizing, the outcasting that I witnessed from the evangelical community uh, really began to sour me on not God and not Jesus. I still believe Jesus is who Mm-hmm. He was who he said he was, who he is, who he says he is. But say, you know, organ, organized evangelicalism in many ways, a little burn on that. And one of the ways I got burnt on that, in addition to what I just described, was we began fostering. We became foster parents in 2015 and then again in 2016. And up until that time, Chris, again, I mean, I was an Alex P. Keaton young Republican, uh, obnoxious, hated Bill Clinton, just, just, just party guy. Always believing that whatever I got in this life, I earned every last bit of it. And, you know, those of you out there that are collecting welfare checks, get up off your lazy ass and go to work you can get grants where I had to borrow my way through college because of your socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. You have an advantage that I don't have. You're going to get free school. Just go work harder and make better choices. And you can, you know, anybody has that opportunity. It's America. And then we fostered. And the first girl that came to our house on the worst night of her life, when she was taken from her mother's arms, who was high on meth, but it was still her mother. Um, we, it was a rough night. It was a rough first week, but after that, she began to open up after that. She began to really, um, become part of our family. She began to warm up to me. Cause up at that point in time, all men were, were people that hit her mom or tried to abuse her in multiple ways. And, um, 
I kind of, it, it, it kind of started to change me mm-hmm. from the sense of I knew because I would take her just me. Cause my wife couldn't deal with the emotional aspects. I would take her to a facility where she would be able to see her mom for an hour or so. And then I would take her back to our house. And that was difficult. Um, and then I also got to know where she lived where she was born, where she was being raised and the worlds that she might return to. And that was a neighborhood that you and I would not drive down. That was therefore a neighborhood whose local business tax base was horrific, which then meant the funding for the school that she would go to in that area of town that she was born into, that she didn't choose to be born into that area of town or with parents like that. She had a glass ceiling. There was only so high statistically she was going to be able to climb, not because of anything she did, but because of what she was born into. And sure, there are outlier examples of people who came from the hard side of the tracks that climbed, made good choices and made it out. But those are we, we joke and say, well, that should be a movie because it's so uncommon. It's uncommon for a reason because the statistics are overwhelming, overwhelmingly against these children. They're likely not going to graduate high school. They're likely going to, uh, they're exposed to sexual and or physical violence and drug abuse. And they are therefore highly statistically likely to continue that horrible chain and circle. And it keeps going and keeps going. The first girl's mother came from foster care because she was taken out of a drug home, as was her grandmother. The second girl we got, same thing, same exact thing. So over two years of being exposed to that and seeing these children begin to blossom and thrive Mm -hmm. in our home, not because our home was special, but because our home just gave them love, attention, and safety. It changed me. It changed me. And that's one of the biggest frustrations, Chris, that I have right now with our political environment is we life is lived at the relationship level. And unless you get in and get your hands dirty and are willing to give away a piece of your heart, in service to others, you're not likely to get yourself to a point more often than not to where you can empathize with people really. And also at that time, Chris, in 2017, that's next summer, all these years in a row here, I'm taking you through the process. Mm -hmm. My oldest daughter, Grace, that was 2017. So she was uh, 15 years old. No, she was 14 going to turn 15 little Gracie Miller on cakes to know, you know, calling out Jim and West Des Moines back in the day, guns and roses. Um, <laughs> I remember this. I remember the back promos. In, you can back listen in the John to my Miller daddy at two o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember this. Yeah. And, um, so here's Grace. She goes, you know, we're fortunate enough to send her on a mission trip to Germany where her group went and served Syrian refugees that was near the height of the Syrian refugee crisis and Germany opened their borders and brought in a number of refugees. And she was talking every day for a week with these young girls from Syria that were talking about their experiences. She comes home and she tells me these things. 
And this girl, my daughter, Grace is 14 years old. And I'm just, and she has this passion. She has this fire that almost, you can almost see it for, for, for the voiceless, for the ostracized, for the overlooked, for the orphan, for the widow. Matter of fact, we started to foster because one time Grace came to us after church and said, how come we don't foster? How come we don't take care of the widow and orphan like the Bible tells us to? So we did. Wow. 2018, Juarez, Mexico, October of 2018, we sent her on a mission trip to an orphanage there. I was terrified. I, was, I mean, it's Juarez, Mexico. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, this is who she is. 2019, last year, we sent her to Nicaragua to the trash dumps of, um, oh, I can't remember the, the city that she went to, but it was literal trash dumps where these kids live. They're, they're trash. They have a caste system there, C-A-S-T-E, where these kids are never going to rise out. If you associate with these people, you are trash. You are ostracized. You have a scarlet letter. And she just has a heart for these kids like I've never seen. And her heart for justice in addition to the fostering experience and then seeing what has transpired politically from a party that I was once blindly loyal to, to what I perceive as an absolute lack of compassion for the voiceless, for the different, for the ostracized. And then I see this party whose uh, electoral backbone are people who profess to believe in the same God that I believe in. It's difficult for me. And that probably sums up the transition and shift in my current political ideology, because it has everything to do with how I see the world and actually trying to see the world and love the world the way that Jesus tells us to, and not just, picking out this verse and that verse, using it to ostracize and to hurt people. I'm not going to be a part of that. And I'm not saying that one party has the market cornered on that and the other one doesn't because that's not true. I'm just saying maybe sometimes we're a little harder, Chris, on those closest to us. Mm -hmm. You know, we have greater expectations. I had better expectations out of the, the Republican party than what I've seen it become and what I believe personally that I see people turning a blind eye to all because uh, four legs, good, two legs, bag, tribalistic mentality. And I want no part of that. Yeah, that. So I, I truly believe, and I think you are too. I'm, I'm, I'm really moderate. <laughs> I really am. Like I, I've taken a million of those spectrum tests and I answer them honestly. And I, I'm always right there left of center, like just left of center, socially very left, uh, everything else. I'm right there in the middle. And one of the hardest things that, that I've experienced on the radio, because even if we're not talking about politics, you, you know how it goes. Like you, yep. people <clears throat> can read into things and, but it's been really hard the last six months with COVID and then with all of the racial, uh, the social commentaries that have been going on in our country. Right. Uh, do you ever feel like that the the right thinks that you're like this crazy liberal and then the left is calling you a Trumper at the same time? And I look in the mirror and I'm like, what am I? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that. I Can you yeah. be moderate in 2020? I, I don't know. 
to me, I, I think that you can be, but I think what we are experiencing at this very unique point in time in the history of our democracy is the cult of personality that has taken over the GOP at this point in time. It, it almost has pitted people to where you can't be a moderate. You're either with us, yeah. you're either for us, or you're against us. And, and I want to say something right now. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. That propagates a culture of victimhood. It creates a very fractious environment relative to equality and equal rights. Let, let me, I prepared one thing here. An interesting test. I'm going to run it this past you. Okay. okay. It's a thought experiment. Okay. Let's examine our society as of late. All right. Now, do we have a large segment of our society that is sympathetic and reverent to a certain and specific individual? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Has that party been engaging in uber nationalism for the past several years? Yes. Have some been using propaganda that ties into, say, conspiracy theories like QAnon and or casting doubts on the veracity of elections, Absolutely. even though there's been very, very few instances in the history of this country relative to uh, voting fraud? Has that happened? Yes. Yeah. Um, has that particular faction created a distrust and almost a politicization of science. Absolutely. Okay. Have they been replacing reason debate in exchange for fear and anger? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, have they been casting doubts on the validity of the media? Nonstop. Okay. And the other two I already asked you. Now, you didn't know I was going to bring these things up. Let me, let me juxtapose this. In 2015, a man by the name of Jason Stanley, whose grandparents were citizens of Germany and then Nazi Germany, uh, and whose parents immigrated to the United States, wrote a book called How Propaganda Works. He wrote about historical strategies that certain types of individuals in history have used during their rise to power. Let me go through them numerically quickly. Number one publicizing the idea of a mythic past. This book was written in 2015, by the way. Publicizing the idea of a mythic past. Use of propaganda and conspiracy theories. Anti-intellectualism. The replacement of reason debate with fear and anger. Casting doubt on media. Denial of equality and insistence on a hierarchy legitimized by nature, i.e. one race being superior to another. Propagation of a culture of victimhood. Campaigns based on law and order. Again, this was written in 2015. Appeals to rural voters and suspicion of cosmopolitan urban dwellers. And a perpetuation of national conflict between us and them based on ethnic, religious, and racial identities. How Propaganda Works, written 2015. Man. And that is a book that was written to give a warning to those conditions that seem to be ripe for a certain type of leader, which have fingerprints overlaid 
from the past in the United States and the world, not the United States, rather, in the world to certain type of leaders. Now, I'm not going to drop the F word here because you drop an F word like that and half the people tune out and think you're crazy. I'm just saying it's a little frightening. I got another one for you. You should read this. Um, It's called The Innocent Have Nothing to Fear. It's actually a novel written by Stuart Stevens. Stuart Stevens was the campaign manager for Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. So very staunch GOP, right? Right. This guy's been around for a really long time. And he basically wrote, um, it was a prediction of what's going on now. It's Mm. incredible. The, so it's a, it's this, uh, again, it's a novel. Like it's, I I just Googled it right now. It's, it's called a dark comedy, (laughs) but, um, you're going through this story where there's the GOP candidate, there's the Democrat candidate and like it, it, it's very literal as to what we're experiencing right now. And yeah, Stuart Stevens is, he's interesting to me. I, so that's, those are the type of guys that I, I still really respect the Romneys, the, um, like I'm a big John Kasich guy. Like I, yep, to me, like if, if I could, if I could write in any candidate to be the next president of the United States, that's who I would pick. And he's a, he's a moderate. Yeah. He's a, but he's, he's a Republican. Right. So like, I, I think that that's, that's worth stating in these days, but now John, like a guy like that though, like the right looks at him like he's Bernie Sanders. Right. But you know, here's the thing. John Kasich hasn't moved on the political no. ideological spectrum. The GOP has moved. But the left will call John Kasich a, you know, um, whatever. Like, the, you know, he's... Because uh, I've, I've, I've seen this. People know that he's my guy and the stuff that they will come at me, like the white privilege and the, you know, the Christian privilege and all this stuff. So he'll, he'll get it from both sides. That's what I'm saying. Like if, yeah. if moderates completely just died in this country. R- right. And, and to me, I think that's what we need in office. We need someone totally. in office who the extreme wings of either party of either side, since we're in this freaking two party system, that's broke, but we, we need the extremists on both sides to not like, the one person. And that's the person I want when the, when the extreme left wing and the extreme right wing, both think that this guy's too left or too right. That's my guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, because, because Chris, I'm telling you right now, that's where elections are won right now. It's not that there's, there's, there's 39% of people in this country that will vote for Donald Trump, no matter what he did, or said because we're about ready to find out because he said and done some fairly unelectable things relative to the history of presidential politics in the United States of America. And there's 42 to 43% that are going to vote for the Democrat candidate. And by the way, I'm not sitting here saying Joe Biden's any paragon of virtue either. In my life, I would have never voted for Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, or Joe Biden against any of the previous candidates that have been running for president in my voting history. These are the three worst in my opinion. So it's, it's this 10%, Chris, in the middle, this 10 to 15% of people that were Obama voters mm-hmm. that became Trump voters, that were Trump 2016 voters 
that I firmly believe are going to be Joe Biden 2020 voters. 10% of this country right now elects the president. What is it, Chris? The last two Republican presidents that have won the office via election lost the electoral college. Yeah. The Democrats had more votes than, than they did. And so that's where we're at. So this is where you can help me then. Um, I have, I think you listened to it when I had my pastor come on pastor Hibben. Yep. This is where I had the hardest time and you, I, I have no shame in saying, I think you're, you're, you probably have a, stronger faith than I do at this point in my life at 36. Mm-hmm. I definitely, it's been a, it, I won't lie. It's been a struggle for me as of late. The, I, I, I have a really, 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 really hard time in 2020 going to church. Mm-hmm. That sounds terrible, but I, you know, I had my president or I, I had my pastor on here, not my president, my pastor. Yeah. And I told him that, right? Like we're yeah. I'm being honest here. Um, and it's, it's not fair. I hate it when people paint groups of people with a broad brush. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's very difficult for me to separate the weaponization of the Bible, which you described seeing oftentimes in Oklahoma. Right. It's hard for me to separate that with being a member of any organized religion. Yeah, I, I just see it all the time. And then when you... Um, like I, I have a hard time with, um, like I, it really bugs me when the right, the, the far right will say, well, um, if you vote for Joe Biden, then you're a baby killer, mm-hmm. you know, it automatically yep. goes to that. Like, there's just no nuance with anything when it comes to this. And it is, you know, it has absolutely impacted my faith in a really negative way, which is probably wrong. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not supposed to be easy though. If if it, if it was black and white, it wouldn't be called faith. Right. Yeah. And, and and no one ever said that the walk was going to be easy. And and I share pretty much everything that you just described. I've experienced this year too, but the one thing I remind myself and that I remind my daughter, Grace, who, um, Grace is definitely liberal. Um, she didn't get that from me. Clearly, as I mentioned, <laughs> I caucused or primaried for Ted Cruz four years ago. <laughs> Ted Cruz. Okay? That's great. Um, not, so she didn't get that for me, yeah. but I sat back. I sat back in 2016 and I told her I wasn't going to vote. She's like, dad, you got to vote. I'm like, here's what we're going to do. You're going to spend the next three months investigating both candidates and I'll vote for who you choose. And we, and I and said, once a week, we're going to meet for two hours a night. And we're going to talk about this. I created a political beast. She, at that time, chose Trump over Hillary. Um, she wow, really? So mad, she would be so mad at me for saying this right now, but I've, I've reminded her these last two years. I'm That's like, incredible. But, but this process has made you who you are. Yeah. This, this, this bile that you now feel in her words, that's fueling you. But anyway, she's been, she's been had, she's had so many friends from Oklahoma and youth pastors. Grace, what's wrong with you? I feel like you're drifting away from your faith because she's posting, she, because she and two of her other friends, a protest of three. In call, if you Google Collinsville, Oklahoma, protest of three, you'll see my daughter. It was on TV in Tulsa hmm. um, supporting BLM. And, uh, you know, 
everyone thinks she's fallen away from her faith because of this. So that really, really bugs me about the organized evangelicalism that I've experienced. But I have to remind myself, everyone cannot be lumped in yeah, you're right. to one, even if you, even if you identify as an evangelical that, you know, people at the Westboro church might identify as an evangelical. And I certainly don't belong to their tribe, but the biggest thing I remind grace and myself, these people are not God. This is not Jesus. Mm. These are people that for whatever reason are out they're misguided. They've been misled. They're misrepresenting whatever it is. That's their decision. God's not telling them to do that. And if they think that he is, they need to change to the frequency that he's on. So I focus. So here's what I've done during this time, Chris, where my faith has been challenged. I focus on Jesus and I say, okay, what did he do? What did he say? Who did he who did he call out? Who did he hang out with? Who did he judge? Who did he embrace? And it's all right there. It's all very simple. And quite frankly, I've come to the opinion that a lot of people I know that are uh, weaponizing that Bible, they wouldn't want to hang out with Jesus if he was right next to him and he just happened to be calling himself Jerry, right? They wouldn't want to hang out with them because they wouldn't want to tarry any longer than they had to when they were walking past someone who's homeless under an overpass, if they were ever finding themselves under an overpass, they wouldn't want to tarry there too long because it's not safe or it's dirty or this or that or the other. Jesus, Jesus would want to do that. Um, they wouldn't want to hang out with petty thieves, which tax collectors back in Jesus time were, they wouldn't want to hang out with scoff laws like that. They wouldn't want to be associated with people like that. They wouldn't want to be associated with, you know, incredibly loose women in the middle of the day at a location where people that didn't look like them hung out, which is basically what the Jesus and the woman at the well is one of the greatest evangelical stories in all of the Bible on multiple levels. We could talk for four hours about that. They wouldn't want to do, they wouldn't want to hang out with Jesus because Jesus also was one of the original protesters. Yeah. Jesus it's like what was it, yeah. constantly harassed by the authorities. Yeah. They wouldn't want to hang out with that guy. They say, what's Jerry doing down at the BLM? <laughs> what's Jerry doing down, you know, back in the BLM? Doesn't he know that th the BLM's website says they're against the nuclear family? Doesn't he know that? But when you ask those same people, well, wait a second you can't support BLM because you don't agree with everything the organization believes, but yet you're telling me you support Donald Trump, even though you don't agree with everything he says and does, we got a disconnect here mm -hmm. that can be funneled down into one thing. Two legs, bad, four legs, good 1984 George Orwellian tribalism. Yeah. And that's it. So Chris, don't, don't blame God for your feelings, for your disconnection. It's the people. It's the, what you're consuming. It's your disappointment and hypocrisy that's making you have a heavy heart. Believe me, God feels the same way. 
So don't let people who are bearing false witness, and believe me, I do it sometimes too, but don't let those people cloud your relationship. Don't get back to the basics. Just go hang out in the gospels and see, you know what? I'm going to go check out and see what Jesus did. Yeah. Well, wait a second. What, what, what does Jesus have to say about, you know, the, um, you know, the, when the Pharisees tried to trip him up and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And all those times the Pharisees were ask, asking Jesus this or that. They didn't care about those things. Just like some people, they don't care that on Black Lives Matter, the organization's website talked about the nuclear family destruction and this, that. They don't care about that. They don't care about those issues. They really don't. Mm-hmm. They just use them as weapons. Neither did the Pharisees care about those questions when put before Jesus. But Jesus always got, got to them with the basic principle. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all others? Well, he said, love God and love your neighbor. And these are the two most thing. And all the law and the prophets are based on these two. And what Jesus meant by that was the entirety of the Old Testament, because that's what was called the law. Jesus is saying, love God, love your neighbor. That means love your black neighbor. It means love your gay neighbor. It means love your drunk neighbor. It means love your, your lawless neighbor. It means love. And let God be God and handle the judgment. You love and don't worry about anything else other than that. Tell you what, it helps me. You're a stronger man than me. I'm working on it, though. That. No, I just, We're all works in progress. We're all works in progress, dude. And yeah. I, and, and, I, and oftentimes I feel like Jules at the end of Pulp Fiction. I will say this though. Like I like, so I don't like going to church like I used to, but I, I often find myself like listening to sermons in my truck when I'm driving around for work. Right. Nothing like I, with that. see, I like, that's my, that's my style. You know who my householder I can, from I can, Lutheran church of hope yeah. can, can, can I throw one of his podcasts on good friend of mine. And I feel like, okay, the world's going to be okay. Mike's all about love. Mm-hmm. Funny thing, whenever we first started going there back in 20, 2005, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Something of America, had at that point in time taken a vote on allowing homosexual pastors in their organization. What? So, And, I, and but, I said, no, no way. I wrote Mike letters, wrote an email, wow. so can't do that. can't do this. <laughs> now I'm sure I'd probably be one of the more liberal-minded people on that See, social that's, issue. Well, that's what I'm saying, like, we're – I'm not talking about like where I'm surprised where you're at, like because of like what your radio, what you said on your radio show was like, I just, I remember being in like rooms with you and Steve and it would be, and I would just be like, Holy crap. (laughs) Right. Like I, not that I was judging you, but it was just so like to, 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 cause everybody, this is the one thing I've learned, man, at 36, I feel like Ross and I really, Ross has taught me this a lot. Ross is from East Side, you know, Des Moines. Um, right. I'm from the sticks, man, Southwest Iowa. You just don't know that person's story and like what happened to them to shape them to be who they were. And that's why it's so dangerous just to judge somebody. It is. And we have so I, much of that that goes on right now. Yeah. I was incredibly self righteous, I was pietous, um, I was egotist. And I was everything that Jesus basically said not to be. I was a hypocrite. And right now, if there are evangelicals still listening to this, they are saying John's self-righteous. He's false doctrine. 
He's this, that, and the other. That's okay. I'd rather be, I'd rather have that group say that of me than what I know that I used to be when I was um, uh, caucusing for Ted Cruz. Yeah, but like, were you even, were you even like wrong then or have you just evolved? Because that, that's to me like, and this is where I have a hard time, a hard time being from where I'm from. I love, there's few people in the world who have more pride from where they're from than me. Right. I multiple times thought about moving back to Clarinda, Iowa. I love, I love my hometown, Mm -hmm. but I do have a hard time often where I feel like I'm being judged because I live in a city and I have a certain worldview because I've gone out and I've sure experienced other things. Right. But that, but that to me, like I look back and it doesn't make my, my friend who stayed and farmed, it doesn't make him wrong. I just don't feel like he's evolved in the same timeline that I have. And I don't know if he ever will, but it it's really interesting. Like, and that's why it's really hard. Not that's why I'm, I'm a big, like, don't, don't hate, try and listen to one another because generally that guy in you, if you, if you, sit down and have a real conversation. You will find some middle ground, but it, it. nobody likes to do that anymore though. That's, that's it. W- was I wrong back then? The John now feels that he was, um, but have I evolved? I've changed. Okay. Because the term evolved when, when you say, well, maybe that guy hasn't evolved yet. He could take that as a pejorative. Okay. He could take that yeah, I see what as you mean. an insult. Yeah. But, but, but here's, I'll boil it down right to the root. I said it earlier. Life is intended to be lived at the relationship level. And if you don't or aren't actively in a relationship with someone, you're very unlikely to get that person to consider what it is you have to say. And sometimes what we have to say isn't probably the best, but you certainly can't find middle ground. You certainly can't have any influence potentially over someone unless you have a relationship with them and there's that at least subconscious connection of, I trust that person. Like when you and I were going to do, you know, do this, you know, we, we were texting a couple of days ago. And I said, you know, I should be fun because we trust one another. Mm-hmm. We trust one another. And we know that the other person is not going to try to score touchdowns on us in the microphone. So that means we're going to have, we're going to at least enjoy it ourselves. And hopefully if we enjoy it, other people enjoy it. Unless you have a relationship with someone, you're never going to find middle ground. And unfortunately, in this day and age of social media, of Facebook, I don't know that we're going to get that back. Because we say things online that we would never, ever have said to somebody's face down at the Clorinda greasy spoon choke and puke or the barber shop or the donut shop because you'd have got punched in the nose. Shittily D. Shittily D. <laughs> Whatever it is, you be where you be. No. But now on Facebook, we can say, I, I, I logged We're off just of Facebook. We're on, on each August other, 4th. man. I, I, I logged off of Facebook on August 4th. Haven't made a post since that Good I'm not going to make another one since after the election because I've got multiple friends of mine that I've spilled blood with that I would take a bullet for that aren't talking to me right now because of my current view on the political situation in the United States of America. I had a, it's not worth it to me. Interesting that you say that. Cause I've had a couple people um, who are my friends on the left who are doing the same with me, believe it or not. 
Dude, I, I've listened to your podcast. I've listened to most of your podcasts that you recorded this year. The Chris Williams podcast, not the Cyclone podcast. Nothing wrong with that. That's all good. Um, and I thought, I've heard a moderate voice. I've heard someone who is genuinely interested in hearing from other people and hearing their opinions. And someone who's not judging now, I haven't listened to your daily sports show every day, so maybe there's some things I've missed. I've just heard someone who's kind of in a position in life that they're, I don't know if looking for answers is the right thing. No, looking, I, I, looking, I, looking, for some, looking for some common ground just to find. I think that that's a good way to describe me. I, I, I really am because it, you know how it is when you have kids. You know, it changes everything, and then – you know, you hit to a certain point where all of a sudden you start thinking about wanting to retire someday and you start, you know, like you just think about everything differently at 35 than you did at 25 and it's not even close. And I don't know, like the last six months, it's like you're all sitting around at home. And I won't, when I had COVID, you know, you sit around and you, 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 you literally can't do anything. Right. And you, you think about things differently and you, right. Like I really am, but like, no, so this happened to me, John, when, when the protests were really amping up and I, I'm, I'm for, um, uh, I, I don't need to completely relitigate this, but I think I'm like most common sense Americans. I, I think they have a right to a peaceful protest. When we start right. throwing bricks through windows, those people right. should be arrested. I agree. Um, when, if they're being instigated, the instigators need to be, arrested right like I, I think that's just a common sense approach but there are a couple of friends of mine I can think of right now on the that are very very liberal who you know blocked me on Twitter um, basically made it be known to me that I'm I'm because I'm a trumper now which I couldn't be the farthest thing from that but in their minds like that's that's where I am right now and it's it, I don't know and then I it's very frustrating. Like it, it's, um, I, I, I feel a little bit homeless in that sense, right? Like we're yeah. such a tribalized world, uh, where there's so much, much of it. And then, I don't know. I, I feel like this think, is carrying think, on the same think, thing about theme of our conversation here. I think a lot of people feel the same way that you do. And, um, it's, it's disappointing, but at the end of the day, you have to be genuine. Yeah. You have, yeah. you have two daughters in your house. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you are, you are modeling things for them that will impact the rest of their life, whether you want to or not on a daily basis. And believe me, I've heard some things from my oldest daughter the last two years that hit me right in the gut, things I didn't even think about. Mm. So they're watching. So you go out and comport yourself honorably in a way that would make them proud, your dad proud, your wife proud, and let the chips fall where they may. All right. Um, you ready to that's loosen? the bottom line. <laughs> you ready to loosen up a little bit? Let's do it. Uh, you brought up um, the Orwellian stuff. Now, you're, you're just looking for a segue here. I feel like this is becoming a theme on this podcast. Um, where we have to talk about four things the with afterlife. Chris Williams and aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Did I hit it? The afterlife and yeah. um, and aliens, of course. But these We're, are but the, but these are just everyman topics. They don't get great. old because everyone has a different view on them. All right, we'll start with uh, aliens. Do they exist? 
I think life forms other than humans exist in the extremophile type situations. I, this is going to be really weird to understand for me. Okay. <laughs> I don't rule out aliens, but I'm skeptical because, which is odd. I took that, that, that conspiracy test that you had on that one podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah. it says I'm freaking, I'm like on the, I'm a high conspiracy guy, but I don't feel like that. I'm like a conundrum well, here's, enigma. Here's one so, for you. Did Trump really have COVID? Yes. Okay. I believe that. Yeah. Cause um, they're, they're tossing it around that he, he claimed to have COVID to get us off of the tax story and the well, bad debate a, department. That was a misfire. If that's the case. <laughs> That could be one of the biggest political blunders of all time. I heard that I'm, one today. I'm looking at a 12 time. spot right now in Pennsylvania, brah. Um, you you ever hear the Fermi paradox? I don't think so. No. All right. A guy by the name of Enrico Fermi back in the day, he was a, he was a player on the scene. Uh, the contradiction between a lack of evidence for extraterrestrial civilizations and various high estimates for their probability. That's the Fermi paradox. Okay. So it's like there are billions of stars in the Milky Way similar to our sun, right? It's just, that's, that's a fact. Yeah, we know that. And this. with a high probability, there are likely some Earth-like planets orbiting around those suns. And many of these are much older than our sun. And if the Earth is somewhat typical then some of those planets may have, have, we've seen intelligent life on them a long time ago. So why haven't we seen them? And to me, the evidence that we have yet to uncover that we have seen them for sure with empirical, undeniable evidence leads me to believe that, no, they don't exist. How do you um, view it with faith-wise? Like, does that impact you at all? When I was younger, that would have absolutely destroyed my faith. It would have it would have destroyed my faith, but it no longer does. I am not what you would call uh, a Bible uh, inerrant literalist. I'm not. Nah, neither am I. So to me, again, I focus on the Gospels. Do you I'm think good. that Moses parted the sea? Uh, I think that there are uh, meteorological um, probabilities that could have pushed the sea out. Wind could have pushed it out. Um, but, you know, you should have asked me, do I believe that jo- was Jonah in the belly of a, of a fish for three days? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. The ark. I, I, I don't. But here's the thing. What I believe is more important than was Jonah in the belly of a fish was the wisdom in that story. And yeah. if God clearly asks you to do something, you might as well go ahead and do it because he's going to get you there the hard way or the harder way. So the wisdom in the story is more important to me than was he in the belly of a fish. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so, but unfortunately yeah. not everybody thinks that way. No, and I'm not mocking think- people who like take it literally that that is what, you know, they were taught. I just, that's a really, that's, this is, this is a topic that I, I don't really like to discuss because I don't want to cause anyone to stumble. Yeah, no, I, I totally it's get it. Very, yeah, it's very nascent. Totally understand. No, it, it, aliens, aliens would not disrupt. It w- it wouldn't. It, what about ghosts? This is the big one. Oh shoot! Okay. They, they have to be like this. Is again like nobody's ever had a good comeback to this. No. Afterlife deniers, like 
So how many? Wait, that's a thing. Afterlife denier. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're making it one. <laughs> how, there's what millions? What's what millions of people who have reported ghost story like encounters? I don't know. I'm guessing. I don't sure. know how many people, but there's been a lot. Of, I'm sure a lot of them are crazy. I would say the overwhelming majority of these experiences probably have some sort of scientific explanation yeah, or yeah like a car drove by and there was a reflection or whatever that's where you saw the orbit yep 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 i just like why can't we just be okay with the fact that weird stuff happens and we can't explain everything because that that shakes us to our core i mean you, you look at all the money well I shouldn't say that this was a trivial pursuit because it wasn't. You know what the God particle is in, in, in particle physics, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we, we, we create this um, high-speed accelerator at the lab in CERN across the pond, the Large Hadron Collider, in order to recreate the conditions that we believe existed at the Big Bang. And there the missing particle that we could not account for, we believed helped comprise dark matter. Three-year-old Gracie Miller, we're driving down Jordan Creek Parkway many a year ago and we're talking and she looks out the window and she's like, dad, what if all that black stuff in the sky was actually something and not just stars? And I'm like, fucking kids talking about dark matter, <laughs> never even talked to her about this crap. <laughs> so the whole principle of the the basic model of, of particle physics was bunk without the proof of what they called the God particle. So it's just, Chris, I'm scared to say that I don't believe in ghosts in case there's some listening that really would like to prove their existence to me, but we've had experiences in a couple of houses in Oklahoma when we lived. Whoa. We you had you had paranormal experiences. Maybe, maybe we just recently moved from Oklahoma back to Kansas City. Is this uh, why you moved? Because of the ghost? No, no. So I Grace didn't tell me this until we had moved out of this house. But she said there was a part of the first house we lived in that she never wanted to go in. That she felt like when she was, and this is like this is coming out of an eleven-year-old's mouth at the time. That sometimes she's like, you know, dad, when we swim in lakes or ponds, when we're sometimes you're walking along and you're in warm water and then you're walking along and you're in cold water. I'm like, yeah, she's like, that's how sometimes it felt walking in that room that it'd be nice, comfortable. And I would walk into something cold. And she said, our wow. dog Daisy also sometimes would just stop in the middle of the room and start barking at the wall. They're like, okay. The next house we lived in, I was in Grace's room and I was putting one of the foster girls to bed. And she was talking about bad dreams. And then she had a lot of bad dreams because of the trauma. Poor thing. Yeah. But then Mary talked about, and she's like, dad, I think I see things move at night. And I remember to being a little kid and also having like not night tears. Have you ever had sleep paralysis? Yes, absolutely. That freaked the shit out of me. Yeah. And so can I say that on this podcast? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. Okay. Yeah, we're that, not FCC. That's as, that's as high as I'm going. We put explicit um, on this thing. So you're good. We can... You can, no, like, no. it's like a uh, old school Will Ferrell <laughs> earmuffs, earmuffs. So it, it really freaked, it, you know, it freaked me out as a kid. Cause I, I, I thought I was awake, but I wasn't. So I'm like, okay, maybe she's just seeing things that are like from her. I don't know. But then she talked about the dog that the dog would never want to go down that hallway. Well, those dogs can see it allegedly. 
Yeah. Or they can sense it. They have a different, yeah. you know, I don't know. So one night I'm in there putting the girl to bed and, um, I thought I saw something move. Wow. I thought I saw some type of pale apparitional type thing waft out of the room down to the hallway. And I'm like, yeah. And, and it was after we moved out of the house that both girls told me that they didn't want to go to, to a certain end of the house. And I said, which one? And that was the one. Oh, so, are you still, getting, though, are I've you not like ever seen one. So I, I've not ever seen one. So I'm not a big believer, but yet I do believe that Jesus is who he said he was. So I realize I am a walking, living, breathing enigma. Well, what do you think about those Navy uh, videos? I think that uh, I, I have a very clear I, I know exactly where I stand on this. I absolutely think that the government has proof that other entities of some sort have been on our planet. And Whose government? Our government. Are we the only enlightened government on the planet that knows about such things? I don't know. Uh, prob- and if so, why did they choose us? Um, well, I mean, so there's a lot of interesting theories behind that. So a lot of times, so if you, like, if there, there are these maps out there of like UFO, like alleged UFO, like sightings and stuff. Right? right. And oftentimes they come over nuclear sites, like testing grounds and stuff like that. Those sightings are commonly over nuclear facilities. You're saying, okay. Yes. So okay. we happen to get a bunch of them because we have, have more yeah. nuclear reactors. Yes. Well, and like, I mean, there's a reason like out in the desert and stuff like that, like Roswell and, you know, area 51 and all that crap. Right. I truly believe that we, there's a, I, I, this will make me sound crazy. I've done enough. (laughs) I think that there's enough of the stuff with the Navy deal where they're so sharp. Like we are, we're not nearly as sophisticated as they are, but we have such a close eye on these things that like, if there's ever a mess to clean up, we can do it pretty damn quickly. It's not quite men in black. Like where they had the pins that go around and make you forget, but it's damn close. So to me, those Navy videos, as I try to apply Occam's razor, which, you know, is the simplest explanation is often the the correct explanation. Um, Is that there is a level of advanced military technology that's 20 to 30 years ahead of current day that we're aware of at all times. And that that's what these are. And there's a branch a a black dark budget branch of our government that operates outside of the army, the Navy, the air force, the new world order. Right. No, I'm not saying the new world order. I'm saying it's like a, it's a black ops. They're all, their headquarters is underneath the Denver airport. I, I, I only heard about that one on your podcast and I actually Googled it. I'd never heard that before. Did you go down that rabbit hole? <laughs> I, I went down for five minutes. I'm like, I'm good. But no, I, I, so to me, it, it's, it's either, it's either has to be that it either has to be some dark money on a, on a off budget United States government program. Or if it's not that, then it's an, a, an off budget, unknown military program from China or Russia, which is worse. Yeah, way worse. That we, that's way worse. Or, and if it is, if it is our government and they're aware they're doing f- false flag operations under the guise of calling them UFOs, which they, we've been doing that since the fifties, basically hiding, hiding military testing in plain sight by saying UFOs and kind of playing into the belief of that, or it's aliens. And to me, if it is, 
the the, the well, aren't there some ancient culture well, art of depicting something that seems like aliens? Let right? me let me put it this way for you. This is now we're getting really deep. But like one of the things I can't comprehend, and I, I've gotten really into investing since we since you moved, like. Really for a day. And then I got out, I lost, I lost $500. I'm like, I'm out. I'm very into it. And one of the things like that, I, I don't understand how it's going to be a long-term loser. I'm 36 by the time I would pull this money out. Right. I don't understand right. how uh, clean energy is going to be. So this is right in your wheelhouse, right? In yeah. some capacity, like, so like something has to take off with clean energy. Right. Yeah. Right. It, I mean, it, we have it, to have alternative forms of energy. At some point, we're going to run out of the other stuff, right? Okay. Here, here's the deal. This is this is like perfect. That. This is right in your wheelhouse. I, I, I sound like Biden. Here, here's the deal. <laughs> I've got a lot of friends of mine. Like, how are you going to vote for Biden when he, he's against fracking? I'm like, well, look, he's against fracking on public lands, and 90 percent of our production comes from private lands, and all the time we're developing better yeah. technology to get more gas out of the private lands. So don't worry about things like this. So that's a red herring and a dog whistle. Yeah, but. I believe the technology already exists for quote unquote that's clean energy. So that's the point. And yes, the thing is we have a multi trillion dollar fossil fuel energy infrastructure in place over the world called gas stations, called pipelines, uh, called oil rigs offshore. Okay. Yes. All multiple trillion dollars of CapEx, right? Until there is a profit motive and or until we have expired the easiest fossil fuels to get at. And we also aren't absolutely convinced that we're not destroying the planet in a 50 year time horizon. These clean energy ideas aren't going to take hold, but think of the term clean energy, Chris, think of, and again, I'm for it. Listen, I, I own an, I'm, I'm one fourth partner in an energy <laughs> wholesale company. And we sell propane, which is one of the cleanest burning hydrocarbons there is. Yeah. But this sort of stuff would, you know, probably in 10 or 15 years, I'm out of business, but I'm figuring to sell this in five and, you know, find a new hobby anyway. The energy that it takes to produce a Tesla, (laughs) the plastics, the electricity, all those things, you know where that comes from? It comes from fossil fuels. Okay? <laughs> it comes from fossil. That electric outlet you plug your Tesla into at night? Where's that electricity generated? It ain't clean. It's fossil fuels. So people don't have any comprehension okay. of the supply chain or the logistics. <laughs> They're just all Green New Deal, dude. I'm, dude. I'm left on some things and right on others. Right? <laughs> I love it. It's 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 fantasy. You're, you're not a big right AOC should guy. We be, should we be moving towards these solutions? Absolutely, but they're not economically viable. And the co- the energy cost in fossil fuels, oftentimes to make these clean vehicles, is more than just doing the old thing. Okay, anyway. so back to the aliens and, the, and, and yeah. everything you just said is proving what I believe is a great point. So let's say that that energy and that sophistication of these vehicles exists, right? These flying up. Gravity propulsion. Gravity yeah, all that stuff. Sure, yeah. We, we really don't have a financial motive to release that technology onto the public. 
No, it would destroy the economy. Exactly. So if we, it, it, let's say that these uh, UFOs that, that we have possession of them and they're located, you know, underground in the desert in New Mexico, whatever. Like we really like financially, economically, our status as a world power, we have no reason to let that out. No, and it would freak everybody out. It would. Um, it would. There's a large segment of society that would have mass chaos, and it would turn. It would get violent. Um, the the energy sector would be instantly destroyed. Which which again, folks. Yes, I'm in it. So I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be transparent and blunt. I'm also someone that is perfectly fine paying more in taxes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think, I think our taxes need to go up. I don't know how you fund multi-trillion dollar giveaways and wars without raising taxes. And believe me, going back to the, the previous tax codes going to cost a lot of bills, but I don't care. I believe in what's best for everyone outweighs what's best for me personally, but you can't trash. They're not going to trash that industry no. at this juncture, not going to do it. Now, if we were, if we lived in an altruistic world, Chris, we would roll that stuff out. We would roll it out. We would roll it out to all nations. We'd roll out the capabilities that I believe exist scientifically to have a fuel cell out back of everybody's house, just like you have your HVAC condenser unit on the side of your house, a fuel cell on the side of your house that can run almost in perpetuity with very little input almost like the hydrogen cells we were talking about back in the late nineties. I think all that technology exists. I think it's all owned and patent that the energy companies have bought the patents and they've put them in the box right next to the lost Ark from Raiders of the lost Ark ne'er to be seen again. So you think that it's the private industry owns it and it's not a government cover up. Correct. I think private industry owns it. And and, in a hundred or 50 years when we've exhausted, um, you know, it was interesting too, Chris, when I was in energy back in the late 1990s, I talked about peak oil all the time. Like we were gonna, we were going to run out of oil. That demand yeah, I was going that. to exceed production. And then fracking came along, and we found new ways to extract oil from the ground. And I'm not saying it's a great thing, but um, now we're going to have peak oil demand because more and more people are purchasing electric vehicles, and that will reduce that will reduce the consumption of oil significantly enough to where we're probably not going to run out of crude. We'll have peak demand, not, um, not peak supply. So do you agree with me though, that, uh, and then like, even think of it from like, a think how big of an industry, like the defense industry is. Yes. So like if, you know, if all of this technology, it just gets released and like it, these third world countries have it, like we're not going to be a superpower anymore. Well, it's mutually assured destruction, but with bad right. actors, with, yeah. ideolo- with ideologically, do you want ISIS to have a uh, to have the capability to yeah, exactly. de- to detonate some type of device over the United States that wipes out our electric grid in the form of an EMP? EMPs ghosts don't keep me up at night. An EMP detonation above the United States wiping out our electric grid that keeps me up at night. We oh. would go to Lord of the Flies Great. In, in in thirty days. Now I've got another thing to. Don't Google it. Do not Google what would happen in the United States. What is it again? When, within the first year of an EMP, electromagnetic pulse being detonated above. It's basically dro- it's exploding a nuclear weapon in the atmosphere. 
it fries the electric grid. Every car that has a computer chip in it, every cell phone, all the, all the, all the logistics of semi, we're done. Unless you can grow your own food in your yard and you have enough ammunition to keep the zombies from coming and taking it. I used to have side, bro. I used to have the ammo. I don't have that anymore. I got two guns and I've never shot either one. Yeah. Which I'm going to go shoot them two days from now just so I can like, you know, be a responsible. But you're just real quick before we move on, you're down with my theory though, that if we, let's say these UFOs with this type of technology crashed in New Mexico, our government would have all the reason in the world to cover it up. Absolutely. Yep. That's, that's what I think is going on. Yep. There, there's economic incentive. There's national security incentive. There is, um, keep the peace religious incentive. Sure. Yeah. Do you ever hear the theory about, uh, Marilyn Monroe? No. Was she an alien? No. But uh, I, I was I was hoping that was the theory. This goes back to Kennedy, though. That yeah. Kennedy was about to blow the roof off of this alien thing, and he and his brother had been sleeping with Marilyn Monroe. Yes, and they had told her, so both Kennedys were off, and then the the government actually killed Marilyn Monroe too because she was going to have like a press conference and spill the beans. Hmm. Had not heard that one. But that's a fun uh, that's a fun TV show episode. I, I don't buy that. <laughs> there's actually I don't I don't buy that either. But there's a documentary um, that where a guy like he he claims to have these like documents that he's he's uncovered from the FBI and stuff that prove it. Was he did he like used to have a sleepover at Skinwalker Ranch? <laughs> oh my God! Did you watch that show on no, history? No, but I I, I oh, want to. Dude, it's great. Listen, it, it's if you're not a little bit of a skeptic after watching Skinwalker, the the history show doc docu series on it, like I don't open I'll, your I'll eyes. Watch it. Listen, I'll watch it this weekend. I watched the original Planet of the Apes and then Beneath the Planet of the Apes and then Escape from New York all in one day. I got time for the Skinwalker. There's series. something at that Skinwalker Ranch, and I don't necessarily even think that it's like aliens watching over us, but like this would be really interesting for you who's into energy. Yeah, there's some sort of weird nuclear thing going on there. Like I and I, I'm not even, I'm not intelligent enough on this. Like a government uh, no, sponsored I, thing? No, I don't. I, I, I think it's natural. I, I think it, it's something, some magnetic pole. Like I, I have no Where's idea. Where's it at? Where's it at? Is it's, it Montana? No, it is in Utah. So it's nowhere near uh, Yellowstone. No. The Yellowstone uh, volcanic caldera that could also wipe out civilization if it blows, and it's actually due to blow. Excuse I'm me. I'm giving you all things to sleep about. You've never heard of the Yellowstone caldera? No. <laughs> one of the great. largest. Volca- oh, great. One of the largest volcanic eruptions, I think, in history. A caldera is. Just Google the Yellowstone caldera. Can we just put like a lid on it or something? <sighs> I don't think it works that way. Do you ever think, um, like, do you ever like go, I, I shouldn't bring any more kids into this world because it's so messed up. No, I think that I shouldn't bring any more kids into this world because having children is for the young and I'm 49 and I could not tolerate it. But do you know what I'm but saying though? If, if you I were, was in your, if I, if I, you know, I, no, because I'm an optimist, even though sometimes I sound pessimistic, I still believe naively um 
in the good and people. And I think that, I think that we'll survive this current climate that we're in. So no, I, I would, well, why don't you, you know, if you, you know, you guys have two miracle babies as it is, but yeah, all you guys listening out there, um, propagate. Okay. I've heard, of, I've just heard a lot of people say that. I, I don't necessarily know. Well, these, Chris, these are, these are, I just had a baby psycho- a year ago. So clearly I'm not you, there. But. Yeah. These are among the most psychologically dark times that in 50 or 60 years. So, yeah. Hmm. So, um, as we start to wrap things up, really, like when does the comeback tour start? Like, do you want to start just coming on the radio show once a week or, you know, is it, I would, Iowa football is coming back. You, you big, um, you elitist liberals over there in the big 10, you finally decided you wanted to play some football. Yeah, that was an interesting thing. Um, you know, this whole COVID thing I've been, I've probably been more right leaning, which is crazy that we have a, uh, a leaning on a, on a virus. But, um, you know, I read something today that I, I don't know that there's been any hospitalizations among the top 50 largest universities where the kids have been on campus. There've been plenty of, you know, 70,000 plus, um, infections, but no hospitalizations. But I, dude, I, I will just say that I'm, I have an itch and I definitely miss it, but I don't have, any concrete plans. I got to talk to my wife first and foremost. (laughs) And if she says no, then, then it's a non-starter. Have you been rooting for Iowa state football this fall? Yes. I did something a a couple months ago that I didn't intend to do. I made a tweet and said that I'm going to be cheering for Iowa state this year. And then I got a, I don't even know what it was. It's like the old John Miller popped back in my head. And, um, (laughs) It was about eight hours later and I made a reply to that tweet with like my, uh, you know, like my phone notes, like all these kids that make their commitment announcement on their phones and then they sign their signatures to their thing and they take a screenshot. Yeah. I I basically decommitted (laughs) from Iowa state fandom and I asked people to respect my decision and I signed my signature to it. I didn't see that. I saw the initial one. I didn't see the jackass. I know. And I, you know, and I felt kind of bad because you know, this, I have not been trolling Iowa state for years and years. Ever since I heard Ben Bruns do a podcast with Mike Loss and hearing Ben Bruns talk about how people in his hometown, some of them couldn't be happy for him. And they got in his face about committing to Iowa state. It really hit home to me. Maybe I'm just like the only 40 or 50 year old guy that like actually can change. I don't know. I, I just, I don't find any joy in that playing that, that Iowa state troll character anymore. And that's what well, you did it well there for a while. It was a character. It, it I guess, but maybe it served a purpose. Um, yeah, no, the, those days were fun. I, I mean, I am glad though that I I've enjoyed this fall. I think Iowa state's really good. I think that they that very Oklahoma well. game, Iowa State out played them, out coached them. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that stadium would have been like if it would have been packed. Mm. I mean, that wasn't even a true road game. And Iowa State outplayed the Sooners. And it's to me, it's not even debatable. Wasn't lucky. Oklahoma actually was fairly lucky. Um, Iowa State made some adjustments on some really big play. I mean, what a great game. That's really, that's really the first college football game that I've really watched all year. I have not been able to get into it. Well, I'm looking forward to the Big Ten playing. I, a lot of Iowa State fans have, 
had their fun with it, which drives me nuts too on on that side of things because it's like, does um, Spencer Petrus have any <laughs> saying over what these you know these presidents like? You know what I mean? It's just it's kind of it's kind of stupid to take joy in those those guys not being able to play, but it it has not been the same here in the capital. It's, and that's it. It's not the same. I I grew up on Big Ten football. And I don't really care a ton about the SEC. I like watching Iowa State play under Matt Campbell because the style of play, to me, is somewhat in the reminiscent of what I appreciate about Big Ten football. Iowa State is actually a departure in preparation in that league for every team, probably other than Kansas State. And I like, you know, they, you know what though, they, John? they had a tight end pass to a tight end the other night. What's not to like about that? It is though. That league is not what you recall when you were doing talk radio. Like it, it's now it, I'm not saying it is your, the games you like 17 to 13. It's not that, but that league is evolving in its own way where it's it's not really Art Bryles versus Mike Leach anymore either. Now, there's no, some of right. that. There's no, some of right. that. But, like, Chris, you, you know, a lot of these guys who are these younger coaches in there are, are kind of changing things up because they have to. And it's not necessarily because they want to, but it's like, how do you beat Lincoln Riley? Well, you, it's hard to out Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley. But when you – got this whole other deal going on like it makes it more um i don't know it's funny you said that though i I said that to ross earlier this week and i used the oklahoma game and i compared it to the cyhawk game last year i've never had a cyhawk game where iowa state loses where i i I, an iowa fan hardly said a negative thing to me because it was like even in a loss iowa state earned their respect because of the style that they played and that's it right you know what i mean it's old. It's it's old school hockey. Putting yeah. on the foil, and that's and that's it. It's like you know what, this is going toe to toe, and if Iowa State can make that next step with offensive line play, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I'm hoping they can because I'm a big Jake Remsburg fan, and I'm looking forward He's to getting up to Jack Trice next year, or the year after, and I will absolutely put on a Cyclone jersey with Remsburg on the back, and I will be there. I've heard really good things. I heard they really like him. Well, he's number two in the depth chart as a redshirt freshman. And I remember that kid when he was, gosh, I was trick-or-treating with him when he was probably 2005. Uh, he had been, what, four or five years old? Well, was, that kid was he up to 160 by then? What's that? Was he 160 by then? He was always a head taller than the rest <laughs> of the crowd. That's true. All right, brother. Well, uh, I appreciate it. This is uh we we can do this again too. You're you're always welcome. Um, well, I appreciate it, man. It's it's fun to it's fun to kind of get the rust off the off the podcast equipment. It's not like I don't have the equipment ready to go. I guess if I decided for a late game decision, and it's always fun to do it with somebody I trust and like a lot. And um, you know, hopefully we didn't uh, make too many people upset today. Just a couple guys being honest. I mean, that's I I just feel like at the end of the that, that's literally the reason why I started this podcast. It's not, it's not a money-making thing for me. It's not a, uh, you know, just a different way to express yourself. And um, I don't know, you said it earlier, be curious. And I actually have a couple of um, 
local politicians who are going to come on from the left and the right here in the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to have some fun with them. You know, I'm not, I don't want them to roll down there. I don't need to know. So how, I mean, you, so you're going to have politicians on and you just said they're politicians. Ones I don't that know I, who they are. Don't, yeah. don't ones, tell me who they are. Ones that I know. I wanna, yeah. Huh? Ones that I know. So they can okay. be laid back with me. It'll be interesting to see how you handle the BS. Yeah. The spin. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, to me, it's, I, I'd be like, I don't want to waste my time. And mm-hmm. if I guess if I knew him and I felt like I could have a meaningful conversation with him. If I didn't but, know him, it, I wouldn't have him on. Yeah. If all I'm going to get is freaking political platitudes, we all got enough of that in our lives. So good luck. <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, um, hopefully there's a big 12 tournament and you can go and cheer on the Cyclones this year in Kansas City. I would do that. Absolutely. COVID will be over by then, right? And, uh, you know, if you got a, you know, if, if you need a place to crash, I got a, I got a ping pong table and a, an arcade downstairs for you. That's where it all began for me. The COVID stuff was the Marriott down in there. Kansas in the, City. Yeah. And I, one of the hardest parts of this whole thing uh, was I was down there. I was doing play-by-play for the women's basketball team and watching Bill Finley tell that group of girls who mm. uh, had just beaten Baylor, you know, the biggest win of their lives. Mm-hmm. And they had all this momentum going into the Big 12 tournament. Boom, season's over. That sucks because they were just starting to put it together. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, and yeah. You, I you know. see it. Like you saw, like, you know, you know, all the work like that they had put into that season, they're peaking. And then there's this thing that nobody can control. Yeah. Just rips it all away. Yeah. You, you, one, one of the best things about this last year, kind of stepping away is reuniting with the fan in me. And I said this in the spring, and I'll say it again now, even though I'm really excited for football. Okay. If you, t- I said this in March, if you gave me the choice and I could only have one, I was basketball season or football season, basketball. I, I have not been this excited hmm. to watch an Iowa sports team since probably 1988, 89, when Roy, BJ, and Eddie were going to be seniors. I can't wait for this basketball season. Do you worry? Um, because the last time Iowa had really high expectations, it would have been the Reggie Evans, Luke Recker. They were close to preseason top 10 one other time, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, what this, the, well, the, they don't live up to the expectations. Well, the, the only reason I even asked that is I was talking to Andrew Downs the other day and he, we were trying to figure out like what, like what, like a, just a common Iowa fans, like, expectations are and like we kind of landed on like final four bust and like that's really hard well to me you know what i mean sweet 16 or bust see i think that's a little more fair because i i've learned in the hoiberg era the ncaa tournament man i mean that's just a total crapshoot like yeah and they oftentimes the the, the matchups that you get will be interesting it's like uh, you know iowa versus uh four-seeded virginia how's that work out um but, you know, I, I think that Iowa and Illinois, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that Illinois would win the regular season, Big Ten, Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin um, in, in any order. And then to me, just get to that second weekend, which gives us another week. And, yeah, I'd be disappointed if they didn't get to the Elite Eight, if, if nobody's hurt and yeah. they do what I think they're going to do. I just can't wait to watch this team because the floor spacing opportunities they're going to have 
was about as good as it gets with the shooters they have in Garza. So it'd be great. It'll be fun. All right, brother. Um, best of luck to any, whatever you decide to do in the future, I'll quit. I'll back off on the pressure. And, There's no uh, pressure. Keep, uh, keep doing your thing. Saving the I world. I will, bud. You too. Take All care. Right,